and welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout. It's episode 42, and as per usual, my name is Ingram Noble, and I am your resident Drama School Dropout. And this week, I am joined by an actor who I am in absolute awe. Please welcome to the podcast, James Boone. Drama School Dropout, no graduation day for you, Drama School Dropout. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, honestly, I was so excited. Like, I got the email. I emailed you, and I think you emailed back pretty quickly. I was like, "Oh, oh God, this is going to so be so keen. cool." <laughs> <laughs> I also, I'm that person that puts in just way too many exclamation points in my emails, and Same. I have to go through it. And I'm like, "Oh God, take that one out, take that one out." But yeah, we were talking about headshots um, just before we started recording, and your headshots are impeccable, which is something that I say like no times of the year. <laughs> Um, because I just think headshots are like the most awkward thing to have done in the entire world. And I they really are. I um chose to do this really weird thing. I um was a finalist for to go into the Big Brother house in 2018, I think the year was. So I almost got into the Big Brother house and I had to go and do like an interview with the newspaper afterwards. Well, I didn't have to. I sold my story. <laughs> Shameless. Um, <laughs> and they took pictures in the newspaper and I was like, can I have a copy of those? And I used those as my headshots for two years. Oh my God. Yeah, use it. They use were literally... Like the picture currently, well, it won't be on the podcast anymore because I've updated the art. The old picture, like, because you said you'd listen to the one with Willem, the picture on that podcast yeah, yeah, art yeah. was that picture that they took for Big Brother. That's amazing. I mean, I'm not? wearing like a puffer jacket and that in it. I was like, can I take my jacket off? And they were like, <laughs> no, just let's get it done. Um, but what I like to ask everyone on the pot that comes on the podcast is how did you get into acting and what was your first ever role? Well, I'm I'm just like a massive geek loser in every single possible way. Um, <laughs> so like growing up, I, I loved superhero films and like fantasy films and stuff like that. So I'd always be like playing on my own, like in the corner, pretending I had superpowers. Um, so I, basically my ambitions when I was a kid was to either have magic powers to be a super spy secret agent or to become an actor. And I realized the other two probably weren't gonna happen. So maybe being an actor, I could kind of shoehorn the other two careers. I mean, you kind of done one of them as an actor. Yeah. 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 So, We're gonna um, talk about that in a minute. I'm very excited to talk about that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd always kind of wanted to be an actor, but um, was kind of a bit terrified of like, cause I, I, no one in my family is a performer. So I kind of didn't know a way in, but yeah, I kind of took all the steps to kind of did GCSEs and then kind of did it at college and then went to drama school, then kind of learned about agents. And so it was a very kind of like step-by-step -step process for me of learning what being an actor really is. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes that I think people, as my dad calls it, fannying around on stage. It's not just that. And that's, um, that's a conversation that I've had many times. But yeah, what was your first ever role? And it doesn't have to be professional. We love a good nativity story. Yeah, my first ever role. Oh, actually, you just reminded me, nativity story. My first ever role probably was when I was about four or five. 
and um, I was the angel Gabriel in my nativity at school and I just remember they'd made me a tinsel halo that had been like stapled together and I remember it got stuck in my hair and I was doing the show but I was like super aware that this tinsel thing was ripping my hair out and also that's... you have fantastic hair so like fuck that. <laughs> there's a lot to rip out can you remember the point in time where you realized that acting could be a career like where you were like oh this isn't just fun in school I can do this for the rest of my life yeah uh I mean I think like as an actor I don't know if everyone had this but, but I definitely have this which is um there's like a weird sort of mixture between like a delusional self-belief and knowing that you can do it and knowing <laughs> yeah. it's gonna happen with also this just constant anxiety and fear and realism of knowing that there's every chance that it's not gonna work out for you so I think I have a strange blend of those two things always going on at the same time um but I guess it was just that I I just loved performing so much and like loved those stories and really wanted to be part of telling those stories and so I guess I just kind of went with it because I kind of knew that that's just what I had to do yeah I I, I think everyone's sort of the same everyone always says oh well, you gotta have a backup plan and like funny yeah, there's, enough, there's no backup plan <laughs> well my backup plan is acting so yeah, <laughs> so yeah. here we go with it um but talking about drama school and things, um, unlike me, you were a drama school graduate and you, if I'm my legal stalking, as I like to call research is correct, you went to <laughs> Guildford School of Acting. I did, yeah. Uh, that is, I, I know somebody who went there and uh, all you hear is massively like great stories. I've never heard anything like bad come back about Guildford. But what was the biggest lesson that you learned in drama school? So we had, uh, it was in my second year, I was there for three years. In my second year, we had this whole comedy term. So it was like a, a whole 11 weeks where everything was focused around comedy. So our main workshop was this Commedia dell'arte uh, devised performance. Um, but then even like our voice lessons would have like a satirical prose text or an, an element of comedy kind of everywhere. And um, going into it, I just never seen myself as a funny person. And it'd be the kind of thing where you're told, go home and make up a, a physical comedy sketch and come in tomorrow with this five minute sketch. And I'd go home and create the most awful thing, knowing that I had to go in the next day <laughs> and stand there and no one would laugh, which was horrific. But I think definitely... It taught me a lot about just doing stuff and creating stuff and presenting stuff and taking on those fears that you feel like you can't achieve. And then actually by the end of it, you probably will have something that works if you just keep yeah. like throwing stuff into it. So as mm -hmm. horrific as it was, and as much as I would never want to do it again, I think that 11 week comedy term was like the <laughs> a big turning point. Yeah, I was the exact same as you, not in the case of doing like a comedy thing. I am, um, I'm not funny. Maybe like I'm Alyssa Edwards, like I'm unintentionally funny. Like <laughs> I just do stupid shit. Um, but I current I'm right, I've just wrote a play with one of my um best friends and we had to add comedy in or it was gonna be really grim. Like mm. nobody would ever want to come and see it. And I'm like saying to her, well, I can't write comedy. I'll write the grim stuff. You can write the comedy stuff. And she was like, no, let's do it together. And it's actually like, if I do say so myself, pretty funny. So like, yeah, you just gotta like work at things. Yeah, totally. And like the more that you do stuff, like especially with comedy, like it's so trial and error, like you have to get it on its feet and do it in front of people and risk that people aren't going to laugh. Yeah. And, and then you kind of find out the bits that are working and the bits that aren't. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your funniest drama school story? Because we've all been in those rooms and some weird shit happens in drama school. Uh, oh, my 
funniest drama school story I don't it was it was just constant madness to be honest <laughs> to be honest um I remember in um in my audition actually it was like the movement section of the audition and um we had to be given all these sort of different things to be and one of them was being a plastic bag drifting in the wind <laughs> which I hate to imagine what that looked like. And yeah. now every time that Firework by Katy Perry comes on and she says, like a plastic bag drifting through the wind, I'm like, yeah, that's me. Triggered. Uh, what I always say to people is, because I've got a lot of friends that aren't in the industry and people always ask me, well, what's drama school like? And I say, have you ever watched Summer Heights High with Chris Lilly? <laughs> Mr. G, that is not exaggerated. That's not like that happens. And that's the funniest yeah. thing. Like I, I love Chris Lilly, one of like my heroes. And I just always say, watch Mr. G, that is drama school. But it also does have a purpose. Like when you go through it, you're like, oh, okay, I'm actually like, I am actually getting something out of this. Like I understand yeah. why, maybe not even in the time, but maybe like a few weeks later or a year later or three years later, you're like, oh, that, that makes sense. In production at the end of the year, you're like, I realize why they made me pretend to be a kitchen blender now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But like any, like, because I'm returning to drama school this year. I've already been and dropped out um, as per the title of this podcast. But what would be your biggest piece of advice for me and anybody else out there listening that's going back to drama school? Because you've done it successfully. Um, I think I'd say, I mean, it's so much easier said than done. And I guess it um, relates to all life, not just drama school, but sort of exists in your own sort of bubble if that makes sense like you don't need to emulate other people's success or do do the thing that your classmate is doing incredibly well or or copy that or you don't have to fit the same bracket that the people around you are fitting the most interesting thing about you as a person and as a performer is you and your uniqueness and the kind of subtle bits of yourself and your weird quirks or your interests and everything in your life completely informs who you are as a performer so yeah I think you don't need to, to look around you and feel like you're not yeah. right if that makes sense as uh -huh. much as you should be inspired and learn from the people around you you don't have to be the same performer that the other people are yeah a hundred percent um throughout the podcast I like to throw some random questions out there Ooh. do you have a worst audition story oh I've got loads <laughs> same <laughs> mainly Mainly for commercials, um, there was one, um, it was for a, a hair commercial and um, I was actually on my way to work. I was working in a restaurant at the time. So I was like kind of semi in my uniform. I had like my uniform trousers on and then like a different shirt on. And I did my ident, introduced myself and, and all of that. And then they said, right, no matter what happens, just look into the camera. And I was like, sure, I can look into a camera. Then out of nowhere, they bring out these like foamy sports balls, buckets of water, water guns, and drenched me. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm looking into the camera. I'm like, am I meant to be like shocked that this is happening? Or yeah. am I meant to be doing like a sexy smolder? Or like, I had no idea what they wanted <laughs> from me. And I was just drenched from head to toe. And then they were just like, okay, thanks. And I was like, okay, bye. I'll just I'll go to work dripping wet now. See ya. Oh. Love that. Honestly, like, it's like the things that people will never understand some of the things that happen in like in drama school, in auditions, and they'll never understand that those are plausible situations to be put in. Yeah. And I should say, for anyone that's like just stepping into the industry, that that probably wasn't an okay situation. Yeah. And if that happens to you, you're, you're well within your rights to leave the situation and to say, yeah, to say no. Hey, 
to, to drench me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that this is the show that you were talking about just before we started recording when you said you got back um, The Convent. Am I correct? Yes, The Convert. The Convert. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know why I've wrote The Convent because I literally have under it a play about conversion therapy. <laughs> it's very similar. Yeah, similar. true. I, I don't know that's because I was probably typing at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but so that's the most recent show that you've done since we've been allowed out. And I mean, we're not allowed out in Scotland yet, but since you've been allowed out in London and things, how yeah. how has that been, that process of getting back into it after the year that we've just went through? Yeah, so um, it was a friend of mine directing it, actually, who I'd worked with before a few years back. Um, and he kind of came to me and said he wanted to make a piece of new theatre about conversion therapy. And I kind of went into it a bit naively, like I had an idea that conversion therapy was maybe something that happened in America. Um, like I'd seen a documentary a few years ago and had a vague idea of what it was. But then as soon as I started doing research, it just blew my mind how widespread this is globally, including in the UK. It's still legal in the UK. I didn't realise that it was still legal in the UK until I started researching this podcast episode, which is like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's insane. And like right now, the government are, are talking about banning it like they have been for years um, and are kind of talking about consultations that they're going to have moving forward. But yeah, we had some incredible people coming to help us work on the show. Um, we met multiple people that had undergone conversion therapy and kind of shared their experiences with us. That must just be heartbreaking. Yeah, I think we're really aware making it that it couldn't just be like a sensational, dramatic, exciting piece of theatre like this is an issue that is happening to this day to people all over the place. We were a reduced capacity theatre because uh, the lockdown extending. So we only had maybe 40 odd people in each night. Um, and we only, it was a very limited run. It was kind of a first trial of the show. So we only did six performances. But even in that time, we had people that had experienced conversion therapy in our Q&As afterwards. We had someone that was part of the team that lobbied to get conversion therapy mentioned in the Queen's speech, come to see the show. Like it, it's all around us, but it's so shrouded in secrecy. It's so covert a lot of the time Yeah, that we're just not aware of it. And I think that's the main issue that we're not aware of it. A hundred percent, because I always say that like the reason that I get into acting is because I enjoy telling stories and real people's stories. And some of my favorite things that I've ever watched are issue-based storylines on things like EastEnders, Hollyoaks, because they bring mm. so much awareness. And I think this is something I think we've um we have we're going through a storyline on EastEnders at the moment about um female genital mutilation. Mm. And that these are all such important topics that really do need to be brought to the forefront of societies like topics of conversation because how is it still legal in 2021 to say right well you're gay i'm sending you to therapy to fix you i, I don't understand yeah, it insane. yeah totally um so i think as i said this was sort of the very first trial run of this yeah. new writing um i think it's definitely in putting it on again finding uh, a, like you say a bigger audience that we can reach more money in the marketing is always a huge point when it comes to theater how much money you can invest in the marketing to just spread awareness the show is happening to then spread yeah. awareness of the topic um we as i mentioned we did a q a every night after the show um and a big part of that was that the topic there's so much to unpack and um one thing that i was trying to bring up each night was if it's possible to talk to a friend or a family member about it even if it's it doesn't have to be that you sit down and you 
schedule a three-hour meeting and you solve the issue but even if it's yeah. just bringing it up over a drink or over dinner and just spreading awareness through those means so I think it's definitely a, a ripple effect that needs to happen a lot of the time with these mm -hmm. issues where if you learn about something if you're affected by something or you're moved by something try and bring it up with the people around you and, yeah. and spread that awareness just have a conversation that really sparks mm. a lot of things and i mean i didn't sort of expect this sort of segment to come this way but i don't i didn't do research about it but if you are being affected by conversion therapy or anything along those lines i'm not i don't have the details to hand but in the show notes below i'm gonna like try and find some useful organizations that you can contact if needs be so if you are feeling affected or if anybody's forcing you to go somewhere that you don't want to go to there are um links and contact information in the description below so if you are feeling any sort of way you can get in contact with somebody who can help you um i didn't expect it to sort of come that way so I, i'd never really prepared anything like that and it's it's so it's weird the way that theater can do that and it's something that i'm massively it makes me love it and it's the way that it can change i'm not i love yeah i love the fantastical and the action and things but just seeing like real people's stories is something that i'll always just be like drawn to yeah totally i mean i i don't i feel like i've burst a little balloon i should have sort of maybe yeah. left that <laughs> segment to last If you were booked to do a one-month run in a two-person show in the West End and you could pick anyone with no financial restraints to be your co-star, who would you mm. pick? Ooh. I I think I would pick Gemma Chan because I am I'm a little bit obsessed with her. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a mixed East Asian performer. Um and the the work that she's doing, the success that she's having and the stories that she's telling is just incredible, especially because she's British as well. Yeah, I, I think I would choose Gemma Chan just because I want to be her friend. <laughs> I, I always feel so terrible after this because um, everyone's answers are always so eloquent and I'm like a little basic boy and I'm like Catherine Tate because I love her. Like, I mean, Catherine Tate is a great shout. I Have incredible. you seen that she's doing a new Netflix show about women in prison? Yeah, I'm yeah, so excited! Like I'm, I'm so for buzzing it. for this year to be over now, just to get to the year that Catherine Tate <laughs> comes back. But talking about a hero of mine, Catherine Tate, to moving on to another hero, Peter Pan. You've played him, and that was yeah one of my favorite all-time Disney movies. Episode thirty-five of the podcast was actually with Blaine Weaver, who was the voice in mm. Peter Pan Two: Return to Neverland, and I was like just. So what was it like to play such a, like an iconic role? Because everybody loves him. And I've never met anyone that doesn't love Peter Pan. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I went to the audition and sort of um, read the part. And, and then I think it was after I was offered the part that I then got the original book by J.M. Barry and, and read the original story. He's so fun because he's obnoxious and arrogant and naughty but he's sweet and lovable at the same time yeah like he, he's not nasty or malicious he's just full of energy and he's just used to things going his way and and yeah. just things going right for him so um yeah he was just so much fun to play just playing with that idea of someone that's a bit obnoxious but cheeky and lovable and kind of can do no wrong i always say that i'll i don't think i'll ever get to play peter he's not like my type of cast thing to do if anything i'm more than likely going to play hook which i mean i have no issues with at all <laughs> but i always say pete is one of the best characters to play because he is the good guy but he has a couple of villainous traits 
that you can yeah, just sort totally. of play with and it's oh, i just love him like so getting to play peter like what was it like flying and how much training and all that did that have to come into with that yeah so i'd done um a little bit of flying when i was on potter um but the the potter flying was all automated um whereas on peter pan it was all counterweight flying and also using bungee cords so it was like a completely different style of aerial yeah. work but i love i love the physical elements of the shows that i've done i love stage combat i love movement i love aerial um so it was amazing it's always amazing when you do a job and you get to learn new skills that you're passionate about yeah. that you would never have learned unless you were doing the job <laughs> um so yeah we spent it was probably about like 40 percent of our rehearsal time i guess was uh in liverpool doing um flying work uh with wired aerial theater and then the other 60 percent, i guess was rehearsal room working on the play stuff but yeah it was amazing just working with with a team and counterweight flying is so different because automated it's it's a machine and you know exactly where you're going and you're kind of controlling your orientation and and yeah and everything in space but when you're counterweight flying, it's a complete partnership between you and your counterpart. And in the show, they did this amazing thing where the truss was completely exposed. So our counterweight flyers, Jake and Jacko, were completely exposed to the audience, which I think for kids is really exciting to see that as well. Like being able to see the workings of theatre. and Everyone wants to know how a magic trick works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you see a magician do a magic trick and you're like, oh, how do you do that? So it is like, I think that's really cool. And I, anyone that has ever played Peter Pan is more than welcome to come on this podcast and talk to me about <laughs> it. Because I absolutely love him. Are you excited for, because obviously it's been announced, we're getting a Disney live action remake. Yeah. I mean, the the TV streaming services are just making such incredible work right now yeah so yeah I can't, I can't wait to see what they do with that i don't know how i feel about tom holland though really i, I just i don't know like i'm a big fan of tom holland i love tom holland don't get me yeah. wrong but, but as that you mean yeah, yeah like billy elliott one of my favorite all-time musicals one of my all-time favorite films like i love tom holland but just as peter pan i'm like mm, mm, i'm not we'll see. i think we'll i prefer someone younger is what i'm thinking yeah yeah, yeah I, I see that because you know Tom's about to get his bus pass and his pension. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you've gotten to do a lot of really cool things. Um, but what has been your biggest what the fuck moment? I guess there were loads of those moments when I was doing Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, actually, because I'm a huge Harry Potter fan and always have been. Like I said, I'm a massive nerd in every way. Yeah, I'm. So even I'm just right getting, there with you on Harry Potter. Yeah, even just getting the audition, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like I'll never get this job, but it's cool just to be auditioning for it. But yeah, just being on the West End in that show doing creating magic every night yeah. and there's certain elements of the show that I can't talk about but kind of like hashtag keep the secrets hashtag keep the secrets <laughs> moments of the show that I got to be part of that in terms of the franchise a really iconic thing to happen and just yeah it was yeah the show was, is amazing the show is amazing yeah we got to meet some incredible people on that show um either people working on it or people coming to watch it yeah um, there was one there's one Christmas party where um, Imogen Heap, who is an incredible musician and did all of the music for the show, she was there at one of our Christmas parties and we had this kind of like inflatable 
reindeer like hoop toss where someone would put like the antlers on their head and then other people would throw the hoops to to get them on their head and Imogen Heap was wearing these antlers and I was throwing these rings at her head and I just thought this is the most bizarre thing that's ever happened (laughs) in my entire life Um, (laughs) no Harry Potter will forever and always actually our producer on the podcast one of my best friends Heather Spiden she's never read them before and I have mm. nearly every edition of Harry Potter books that have came out ever. And I was like, right, here are the seven. Go away, read them, come back to me, and then we'll talk. Yeah. And like, she's just at the, she's just about to start Deathly Hallows, I think. And she's like, why have I never read these before? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Um, am I right in saying that that was your West End debut? It was, yeah. So a lot of West End shows are normally surrounded by a lot of hype anyway. But what was it like making your West End debut in a show that is a global phenomenon? Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, so I was in the second cast. So I was I was cast in it whilst it was still in its first year. So it was yeah. at that stage. It's a bit different now, but at that stage, it was super super secretive. There was there were only I think like five named sort of announced characters that you were even allowed to talk about outside of yeah like the rehearsal room or whatever so yeah it was it was kind of like I was aware it was kind of like a big deal straight away especially just because of my own nerdiness um <laughs> and I was just working with such incredible people both older actors that have inspired me so much and that I've learned from but also younger actors sort of around my age that have become some of my best friends in the entire world through the process of working on this show and, and yeah. kind of dealing with that there was definitely an element when I was working on it where when I started learning the secrets I kind of I was like no don't tell me I don't want to know how it's yeah. done but they were like James you you need to you do have it. to know how, <laughs> you it's need to know how it's done yeah that is like, oh, fine. that's probably one of the downsides of it especially as like a Harry Potter fan you'd be like no I don't want to know how they do this because I've, I've saw the show I saw it with the original cast yeah I was one of the lucky people I waited like three months for tickets without refreshing the page and <laughs> I, I loved it yeah like, I, I loved it and it was like, you know, we hadn't had Potter for a long time and then coming back and I was like, oh, I was so excited. Um, but you were, are we allowed to talk about who yeah, you were playing? And the team that worked on it are amazing. I think so nowadays. I, I, I wasn't allowed to for a while, but I think so now. Right. I mean, even if we aren't, yeah, I'll take on. a cease and desist letter signed by JK Rowling. <laughs> um, so you were, let me get this correctly, Craig Bowker Jr., that's the one. And yeah. you were an, also an understudy for Scorpius Malfoy. Yeah. Who has become a bit of a heartthrob. Like, yeah, he's like that, that lovable geek that like you just, there's something really sweet and sincere about him and you just kind of want to protect him. So was there a lot of, how did you develop those characters? Did you refer to the original text or was it a lot of new information or was it just like your own intuition um so craig balker jr um it was like a real sort of collaboration i guess so he already existed um because as i said i was in the second yeah. year so jerry jones amazing performer um originated the role um and had his version of the character and then i think as an actor you always have to take a script and kind of just make choices, bring loads of ideas and kind of hold on to them and and kind of give life to what's the kind of like the blueprint that's in the script. Uh-huh. But then obviously um Des and 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 the the rest of the team, Des is the associate director. So he was 
running most of the rehearsals for our cast change. Yeah, we he kind of spoke a lot about the uh, Craig being this sort of uh, geeky character that kind of really wants to be liked and is a bit of a tryhard. And I guess I kind of then just really lent into that. And and the rest of the team working on the show are also amazing. So we all kind of like helped just yeah give life to these characters. Is there any ever any sort of pressure that this is like the next generation of something that we grew up with because harry potter is undeniable changed the landscape of everything yeah totally um because craig was an entirely new character so he's, he's a new slytherin student for anyone that hasn't seen the show and also has become a character that in the west end has always been so far played by any stage and performer which is quite cool um, Amazing. You don't often see East Asian characters, especially in big stories. And I know uh, across the globe has always uh, continued to be a member of the global majority playing the character. But yeah, especially when it comes to Scorpius Malfoy, there's definitely, I think, more pressure there because he comes from a family that everyone knows. Everyone knows Draco Malfoy and Lucius Malfoy. And yeah. The, like, taking on that character, there was definitely an element of responsibility. Uh-huh. I, I genuinely, I can't uh, fathom what that would be like. And I, I think I'd crumble under the pressure. <laughs> I think I'd crumble more under the pressure of having to keep the secrets. I'd have told everyone. Yeah, no, it was definitely like that at the beginning. Like, because you, you start to have a conversation and then you're like, oh, I can't say that. I can't say that. <laughs> Just redact it. Like, you need your own personal sensor. Like, beep. Um, but yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite questions to ask everyone is what is your favorite line of dialogue that you've ever gotten to say? It doesn't have to be from Potter, it can be anything. Ooh. Uh I oh, I don't know actually. There there was something in, in Peter Pan actually, um, where he would regularly just introduce himself, state his name, followed by the best boy in the world. I just I love, love that. that. that I that, love like, that unashamed too. Unashamed confidence, and I kind of, <laughs> I want to carry that into my own life. <laughs> no, I, I am definitely here for that. Um, so we're coming to the end of the podcast now, and we're going to play the drama school dropout game, and it's called Stage Right or Stage Shite. And so basically, what it is, it's three stories. Two of them are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and they have been submitted by our lovely, lovely listeners. And if you've got a story to submit for Stage Right or Stage Shite, you can email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com. Um, and one of them is a complete and utter lie. I don't know which one it is because it's done by our producer. I've got their answer in a sealed envelope, so it's our job to find out which one. So number one. Okay, let's go. I was in a show in college, and I was playing an alcoholic's wife, and during one show, I couldn't find the pint glass I was supposed to give him, and I was taking too long to find it, so my husband just emptied the contents of a vase onto the floor and poured his drink into and drank out of a vase. I love that. Ooh, yeah. Number two, I was in a school production of Les Mis, and the boy that was waving the flag got a bit too carried away with himself and hit one of the younger girls with the flagpole and knocked <laughs> her out. <laughs> Number three, in high school, in high school musical, I've got high school musical on the brain. I watched it last night. In high school, <laughs> I played Wendler in Spring Awakening. I'm really sorry if I butcher any of these names. I'm not familiar with Spring Awakening. And in the hayloft scene, as Melchior laid me down, his suspender snapped and hit me in the eye. I had a black eye for two weeks. These are all very genuine stories and I feel like I identify with every single one yeah. of them and every single one of them has happened to me in some <laughs> yeah. as a performer oh it's horrible thinking about some of the like you get some of them and you just like you don't even want to play the game you're just like I don't want that one to be true 
Like, yeah. I'm not bothered as long as that one is the lie. But I don't know. Like, would you just... I, I don't necessarily know if I would dump flowers and maybe some water onto the stage floor. But I do also buy that panic when you're like, oh, God, yeah. I don't have my prop. What do I do? There, there mm. were times in Potter where wands would get caught on things and then fling out of people's hands and then they'd be left on stage without a wand when they need a wand. <laughs> so I, I do... I do kind of identify with that. I have absolutely no idea. Like, although, although, right, I suppose taking the flowers out the vase is is quite extreme. Yeah, like literally, then, like I'm imagining that he just picks up the vase and goes, <laughs> and then pours his drink into it. Because it's well, if it was a beer, like I'm just going to guess it was a beer. That's a bit of to- toxic masculinity. Would you not just drink it from the bottle or the can? Yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah, I feel like the other ones. The other ones, yeah. You hit someone with a flagpole, like they get knocked out. There's less, there's less of an odd element to them. Like, yeah, the other ones are just accidents. Whereas the flower one was just a bad decision. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think the flower one is is the fake. Do you I know what? I kind of wish it. I, I kind of hope it's true though, because it would be iconic, <laughs> wouldn't it? Like just on stage, boom. Just maybe I'm going to shoehorn that into my next show. <laughs> rem- oh, do you know what it reminds me of? I definitely think it's fake now. It reminds me of Phoenix Knights. Have you ever seen that? No. It's a Peter K comedy, and he, the guy, he, the main character played by Peter K, drinks out of a vase the whole time because a pint glass isn't big enough for him. <laughs> oh, I definitely think that one's the fake one now. Number one, I caught you out. Yeah, I'm going number one. I'm going. <laughs> it's number, number two. <laughs> oh no, they really did that. I Someone was so really confident there. I just called out Heather and everything. I was like, I got you. <laughs> oh, so confident. Oh wow. I mean, I'm least... glad no one got knocked out by a flag. Yeah. That's that's good. I'm glad Same. that's a lie. But I mean, don't drink out of a vase, people. <laughs> like... I wish I saw that. Oh, that is, I, I, that's kind of iconic, actually. Um, no. But we come to the end of the podcast now. Is there anything coming up that you're in that we can talk about? Where can people come and see you next? Where can they see me next? Um, well, I've had a couple of, I've started doing some voice stuff. So a couple of animations coming out. Um, Love that. There's a, a kind of young adult uh, comedy called Dodo on Sky um, with my friend Dylan Llewellyn is playing the lead guy. And I'm, I'm I love him. Kind of, he's great. He's yeah, he's such so a good actor. Uh, so he's playing the lead guy and I'm kind of all the visiting robots and zombies and aliens and stuff like that. So that's out. Um, Theatre wise, I guess we'll wait and see. There might, there might be stuff. Maybe we'll see. So that means there's something coming up that we can't talk about. Um, I hate being that person, but can you just do me one favour and ask Dylan Llewellyn when we're getting Dairy Girls Season 3? Because I'm not willing to wait much longer. I know. I mean, Nicola is now off, obviously, doing Bridgerton and just being incredible all over the place. So I, I know. Guess maybe that's part of it. Is that part of it? I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I feel Especially. like they were on set and then COVID happened. Mm, yeah, so I feel right. like... I feel like it was happening and then they had to like cut it short. So yeah. absolutely no clue, but I miss Dairy Girls. Like I genuinely, yeah, I, I, I love it. I love it's it. So it's fun. one of my favorite. Who's your favorite Dairy Girl? Uh, it's got to be Nicola's character, Claire. I, See, I'm, I, I'm obsessed with her. I like, I'm like the odd one out here. What about you? My favorite Dairy Girl is Jenny Joyce. Oh, cute. I, yeah, know, I mean, they're all great. I know all Jenny Joyce. Like I, I went to school with a Jenny Joyce. I went to college with a Jenny Joyce. Like 
that yeah, character yeah, yeah. so well-rounded and I'm just like, yeah. not the rest of them are. <laughs> but like, I just relate, like I like, I know, I know you. know you. that girl, you yeah. know her. <laughs> I, I probably was that girl for a while as well. <laughs> um, but where can everyone find you on social media? Um, at jamespoon underscore, and which is all... J-A-M-E-S-P-H-O-O-N underscore. Honestly, on like Twitter. your Instagram is also goals. Like I was looking through it last night and I was like, just looking to see if there was anything else that I wanted to talk about. And I was like, oh, that's just like, that's a perfect life, isn't it? Like, uh, I mean, it's a bit of a mess, like professionally, like it's not, it's not super, super streamlined and polished, but I try and I want to create like an authentic sort of space and like yeah. a, a safe queer space as well. And just, yeah. That's, I mean, I'm kind of pretty sure there's still photos of me on Instagram, blackout drunk in the middle of a street. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe you don't have to worry too much. But thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, I'm like I'm now I'm now a James Poon fan, and I will be coming to all of the shows. I, my mum lives Woo! in London, so I don't even have to pay for a hotel. I can come Amazing. down and and see all the shows. But thank you so much for coming on. It's been no, thanks for having me. It's been so nice chatting to you. Anyone comes on. Oh, honestly, I, my pleasure, hundred and ten percent. Um. But yes, I will let you get back to normal life and I can't wait to see what you do next. And thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Take care. Perfect. Thank you so much. Bye. And there we have it. Another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 42 completed. Thank you so much to James for coming on the podcast. Please make sure to follow us both on social media, which you'll find all of the links to down in the show notes below. And if you've been affected by our chat about conversion therapy, there'll also be a number of helpful links and contact information for you to contact if you're feeling unsafe and need some help. If you're feeling generous, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast. It helps us so much. And if you have a story for Stage Right or Stage Shite, please email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com. I will be back again next week with a brand spank new episode and I'll be chatting to an actress who spent a lot of time residing in the most famous postcode well zip code on earth have a lovely week and I will see you again next time drama school dropout no graduation day for you drama school dropout thought your whole course now try something new I'm a school girl.